Amen. Um, yeah, I think I'm going to not preach from the stage tonight. It just, yeah, oh, it's crazy. Yeah, I, li- I kind of like it down here. Okay, hello, Winnie. Okay. Pressure. Okay, um, okay we're going to be uh, Romans 5 tonight. So why don't you all go to Romans 5. We started that last week. We're going to start in 12 and go to verse 21. Um, This text is going to be, I don't know how to say this, it's kind of the the bud that will open up for the next four chapters. So there are themes that are going to start in this uh, chapter 5, 12 to 21, that Paul is going to kind of circle around for all the way until we get to the end of chapter 8. And so I kind of want to stay big picture tonight um, and then deal with what he's going to do. He's going to juxtapose or he's going to compare Adam to Jesus. It's it's pretty simple, um, but it's so rich, so beautiful. So um, just for the sake of getting us to chapter 5, I don't want you to be lost. Um, Chapters 1 to 4 create a section And then chapters 5 to 8 create another section, 9 to 11, another section. Uh, So I just want to summarize in in two sentences chapters 1 to 4, and then I want to summarize 5 to 8, and I want you to see them connect, and then I want to unpack these verses. So if I could summarize 1 to 4, and and I'm going to do this slowly because there's a lot in these because I'm summarizing several chapters, but uh, chapters 1 to 4, in Jesus, the Messiah... God has been faithful to His covenant with Abraham, dealing with the sin of the world that separated humans from God. And in doing that, He's created a worldwide family that are in relationship with Him and in relationship with each other. When He does that, and you're going to see throughout the text, the question is going to be raised, what about Israel? What about Israel? You could say, what about the, the Israel? What about Israel according to the flesh? What about Israel? And he'll answer briefly, but then he'll kick it off to chapters 9 to 11. Okay, so in Jesus, God has been faithful to a promise he made to Abraham to deal with the sin of the world. And when he dealt with the sin of the world, it became possible now for everyone on earth to be a part of the family of God, not just the Israelites who he initially made the covenant with. Chapters 1 to 4. So then let's add chapters 5 to 8 to that. This worldwide family is the true Israel and is therefore the true humanity and is therefore, by the Spirit, the people in whom all God's purposes in the human race are to be fulfilled. The people also through whom God's purpose for the whole cosmos will be fulfilled. That's why chapter 8 talks so much about the creation groans waiting for the sons of God to be revealed because the creation suffers because humans are not playing the role humans are created to play. So I'm going to read that one again. There's a lot in there. This worldwide family that was created by Jesus dealing with the sin of the world uh, is the true Israel and is therefore the true humanity. The reason I say that is we have to think in our minds, what does it mean to be human? To be human means more than we have opposable thumbs and 
We have rational brains and we have complex emotions. It means that we are those beings who are both physical and spiritual who stand as some sort of bridge between the physical realm and the spiritual realm who act as the image of God on the earth. So when it talks about the true humanity, in being the true humanity, what it means is humans exist to be image bearers of God. Humans exist to say, this is what God looks like. But when humans walked away from God, we became unable to do that. And so in some sense, our humanity was lost. So that's why I say this worldwide family whose sin is dealt with, whose relationship to God is restored, is the true humanity (coughs) and will accomplish all that God has purposed to accomplish on the earth through that worldwide family. Okay, that's a lot, but we're going to unpack that for the next four chapters till we get to the end of eight. We're going to unpack that idea. And that idea is going to get bigger and bigger and bigger, and it's going to culminate at the end of chapter eight. Okay. And then, of course, that's going to raise the question, if these people, this worldwide family is the true humanity, then what about Israel? Again, we're going to push that off to chapters 9 to 11. Don't worry about Israel at this point. Even though throughout the whole thing, you're going to see Israel being raised. The law is going to come up. He'll deal with it, but then we'll move on. Okay, so just when you see the stuff about the law, it'll confuse you a little bit because most of you aren't Jewish. Uh, If you are Jewish, it probably confuses you even more than it does me. And so we're just going to kick that off to 9 to 11. Okay. In all that I said to simplify, simplify, simplify. Chapters 1 to 4 is really talking about um, what it means, what the personal implications of salvation. And chapters 5 to 8 are really hitting on cosmic implications for salvation. What do I mean by that? Personal implications. Jesus died on a cross to save you from your sins. It's very much to do with you and God. Okay? He died on a cross to save you from your sins because you were powerless to stand against your own sin you're powerless to not sin and in that powerlessness you are guilty before a just God and so Jesus comes takes the punishment on your behalf it's this is about you and God it's personal implications Jesus has dealt with the sin of the world specifically your sin right five to eight is when I say the cosmic gospel those in doing that he created this family and in doing that he created this family and that family has a purpose on the earth That family has a purpose on the earth, right? And so when I say the cosmic implications, when humans can actually be humans again, in the fullest sense of what I mean when I say that, when we can really be image bearers again, when we can really do what God made us to do, it will affect all of creation because that's what we were created to do, is to steward and rule on God's behalf the creation. Okay, just since I'm down here and I can actually talk to you, Do you follow me for the most part? Realizing that there's big ideas, but for the most part. Does anybody say no? Sure, okay. Thank you, Marshall. Okay. Okay. So like I said, 5 to 12. Uh, And let me say it this way. God has a plan for all of creation to restore humans to their original place in the world and then unite heaven and earth together under the lordship of Jesus after having defeated fully and doing away with sin, the world and its broken systems and Satan in the demonic realm, doing away with death, pain, and sickness. 
So when I say a cosmic implication, I mean all of that is going to happen in Jesus. Jesus doesn't just die on a cross so that your sins aren't held against you. He dies on a cross so that your sins aren't held against you and so that he can bring about new creation, so that he can remake all that has been broken by our fall. Right? And so specifically, as a plan for all of creation to restore humans to their place in the world, then to unite heaven and earth. Revelation 21 saw the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven as a bride prepared for her husband. Um, and I heard God saying, so heaven coming to earth and them uniting. And then in them uniting, God doing away with pain and suffering and death, the presence of Satan, the presence of sin, all of these things that we really really are powerless to do anything against in our broken state. So 5, 12 to 21 is the bud from which the next chapters will flow. It's tightly packed themes of death and life, of righteousness and sin, of grace and judgment. It's juxtaposing these things and he's going to go in a circle around these for the next four chapters. So let's read 5, to 12, uh, 5 12 to 21. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted. So we're getting into Jewish stuff. So like I said, we're going to gloss a little bit. We'll deal with the Jewish stuff in 9 to 11 right now. Okay, what's the sin? talking? Okay, just look at that first part. Sin came into the world through one man, death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet, people are still sinning and dying when there is no law given. Okay, um, uh, For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of of the one to come. What does it mean that Adam was a type of the one to come? Two things. Adam is the only one who ever, for even for a brief time, fulfilled what it meant to live in the Imago Dei, the image of God. He was the only one that we have seen, aside from Jesus, who for a brief time was doing and being what God called him to do and be. But then by the third chapter, he stopped doing that. Right? So when we say he was a type of the one to come, the only other person that we've seen fulfill the Imago Day to be the image of God, for the only person that could really have ever said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, I only say what I hear him say, I only do what I see him do, was Jesus. Right? So he's a type of the one to come. The second way he's a type of the one to come is because Adam's one action had effects for all of humanity because he was the first of us. And then what he did affected all of us. Jesus, the same way, had one action that affected all of humanity. So Adam is a type of the one to come. Okay, this is all the Jewishness you're going to get tonight. Who was a type of the one to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, Adam, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many and the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification for if because of one man's trespass death reigned here we're seeing that again death reigned it's not just that death exists it's that death reigns 
If because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's beautiful. That's good, right? Yeah, even if you don't understand all of it, it still feels just right. Okay. Okay, um, it, when I say that that's the bud that everything flows from, what I want you to see is 5 to 8 is really about creation, fall, new creation. Okay, so the bookends to that are Adam, creation and fall, Jesus, new creation. And then when you start getting into 6, 7, and 8, he's going to unpack the implications of that, and then it's going to explode into 8, where we're seeing the fullness of new creation, uh, the fullness of what God wants to do in creation, uh, the fullness of Him reconciling humanity, and then humanity playing the role that humanity was supposed to play, and how that spreads to life to all of creation. Okay, so we're starting with this one little verse that's just going to unfold and unfold and unfold. And that idea is the bookends of this story. Creation happened. Humans fell. God in His grace has not punished but yet He has given Himself so that those whom He loved might not be punished. And He is through those whom He loves going to bring about new creation. And they will begin that process and He will bring about it in full when He returns. Which is, right, Revelation 21. It's creation, new creation. Um, and I can say it this way, grace that has come through Jesus leading to life is greater and more powerful than sin that has come through Adam resulting in death. Death and life. Death and life. Death reigning or those whom God has made alive reigning is really what he's holding against each other. Okay. Um, so Adam draws our attention to the creation fall narrative of Genesis 1-3 to and humans who are meant to be these eternal beings who act as some sort of bridge between the physical and spirit. I, th I think I, I hit on this, I don't know, I've been hitting on this over two years now. Um, we've got to really sink deeply for a moment into what it means to be a human. Like I said, not opposable thumbs, not rational beings, but we are made in the image of God. That, just, that doesn't just mean that we have characteristics that are sort of like God or something like that. We are meant to be the beings who represent and show all of creation what he is like. To be the, the, the way that his rule, his life, his kingdom, his presence is manifested in this physical realm. I have no idea why God chose to do it through broken, fragile, frail creatures like us. But in his grace, he decided to do it that way. Knowing that we would fall, knowing that he would have to come and die on the cross for us, and then make us into what He wanted us to be all along. Right? So to get our hands around what it means to be human. So we act as this bridge between the physical and the spiritual in deep intimacy with our Creator. And though one act of disobedience subjected the rest of humanity to the power of death, 
and all the physical realm suffers for it. And I think we need to sink deeply into something else just for a moment. Uh, when that phrase, the reign of death, what does that mean? What does that feel like? We're, we're sort of disconnected from this to some degree. Um, how many of you have been, I was going to say, touched by the power that death has? And when I say that, I mean, how many of you have had someone that is close to you pass away in such a way that it really deeply affected you for more than just like a couple weeks, but it rocked you? Yeah? Yeah. If you can, a little bit higher. Just so everyone can kind of see. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So, do you, so you know a little bit what I mean when I say the, the power that death has. Um, my wife's aunt, who we, her name is Sandra, but she went by Aunt Sammy. Um, we named our second son after her. His name is Samuel. Um, my wife's aunt, the only other family member she had in Texas, aside from her mom and dad, who lived down the street from her whole life. Um, last Thanksgiving, found out she had stage four lung cancer. Um, not a believer and um, my wife and her family sort of wrestled with her uh, through the whole process. And then a week after our son was born, whom she was named after, uh, she passed away. Um, and my wife is strong in her faith, right? She's always asked me, well, like, I'm a doubter and I'm an unbeliever. And she's always throwing stones at me. But like, she's, she's solid. And I've never seen something shake her fundamentally like this did. I've never seen her question existence. Is God real? Does He care? Does He listen? Where is He? What are you doing? I thought you were sovereign. When I pray, why don't you answer? I've never seen the way that something like that can shake us. And it shook her that way. And so when we say that death reigned, what we mean is something along those lines, but imagine that spreads to all of humanity, right? Because whether you've been touched by it already, you will be. And keep in mind, this is the, the road that we're all going down. Right now, right, we're still under 30. We still have hopes and dreams for the next 40 years that are keeping us really excited about life. But have you ever, um, have you ever watched a, like a video where you're seeing pictures of old people when they were young? You know what I mean? Is that the weirdest, sort of most sad thing? Maybe I shouldn't say this on a microphone, but do, it, it, it's, when I see pictures of old people that are young now, I immediately realize that I'm going to be old one day. Do you know what I'm saying? Like it, I'm immediately like, oh wow, that person's not been old their whole life. That person used to be like young and fit. And now it's like they have trouble walking. They have trouble just moving through life. Just the normal things that, that life is, they have trouble. When it says that death reigns, keep in mind that humans were initially created to be not under the power of death. To be eternal beings who were in deep, intimate fellowship with their creator and playing out their purpose in the world and something happened when we fell that caused sin to spread and caused death 
to reign and to rule. There is no power aside from God and what He is doing greater than death. It will touch every human being on the planet. So when it says death reigns, it is a heavy, huge thing. It is a huge thing that we can sometimes be a little blind to because we live in a safe, affluent culture. And you are not scared of death every day. There are cultures around the world who don't have that same sort of security, and so the reign of death is really quite powerful, quite scary, and quite unreal in what it will cause you and make you do. So, we're seeing him juxtapose Adam, his disobedience, which led to condemnation, which led to the thing about life that really deeply affects humans more than anything else affects humans, which is the reign and tyranny of death among the creation. If I could just say one more thing. Existence is a beautiful, incredibly rare phenomenon. If you look into the universe, we cannot find life anywhere else. And the universe is a big place. Maybe it's there. I don't know. But life and existence is a rare, rare thing. Look out into the light years and light years and light years that exist beyond the earth. And it's a cold, dark, lifeless place. And we live on this little ball that is teeming with life. It is teeming with life. There is not one day I would imagine that you have not, aside from yourself, looked out at the world and not seen something alive. This place is teeming with life. And I don't remember what happened. It was one day when I was trying to raise some chickens and we got this little red chicken named Rosemary. Um, and she was a little chick. It was cute. It was cute. Um, and then my dogs got Rosemary. Right? It was like the day after we'd taken my first Instagram picture with Rosemary. Um, it was the first Instagram. I think it was the first Instagram picture we took. But I had a little Rosemary. And then my dogs got Rosemary. And I was sad. Like it really hit me that existence is this beautiful thing. And life is this beautiful, beautiful gift. And I think we take it pretty lightly. And then that same day, there had been a mouse in our house. And I set a trap. And I was tired of seeing poop everywhere. And I set a trap. And we won. The trap was sprung and we got the mouse. But then I remember taking the trap and seeing the mouse. Right? And seeing the hammer come down. It was the most... I think it was the rosemary and then the mouse. But I like, I like wept over this mouse. I was like, it's dead. It's gone and it never ever comes back. It didn't even have that long to live. Like, life is a beautiful, just beautiful gift. And I felt guilty for a minute. But then I was like, no, nah, no, nah, I'm not trying to get poop in my food and stuff like that. I don't want it on my forks. <laughs> Right, so that, that went away quickly, but but I think it rocked me for a minute, you know, it rocked me for a minute that death sucks. Right? That death sucks. Like bad. Even in the smallest creatures, it just sucks. And it sucks because life is so beautiful. 
Life is so beautiful. And so, juxtaposing Adam with all of those ideas wrapped around him with Jesus and the opposite of those ideas wrapped around him. So Jesus draws our attention, and this is what I want you to see tonight. Jesus draws our attention to this. Not that we will escape this place of death, but that God will in Jesus recreate this world to where it is not under the reign of death anymore. That is a huge, huge, huge difference. And so you hear me say a lot, and maybe sometimes too much or not clearly enough, that I say often, the story is not that Jesus died on a cross to save you from your sins so you can go to heaven. The reason I make a point of saying that is because the story is Jesus died on a cross to save you from your sins, to reconcile you back to God the Father who loves you desperately and has a purpose for you in this world up until the point that Jesus recreates this world, brings heaven to earth, death and dying and pain and tears and crying, all of that goes away, and then He has a purpose for us after He does that to rule and reign with Him. Look at what the text says. Look at what it says in 17. If because of the, one's man, the one man's uh, trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life. It is not that life reigns like, it, like you think it would say. Rather, it is those whom, are, whom God has made alive will reign. We don't talk about this enough in evangelicalism. And even in evangelicalism, we talk about Jesus died on a cross to take you to heaven so you can escape the dying world. No, 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 no. Jesus has a place for you to be salt and light in a decaying world until the day that Jesus does away with dying altogether. And then we have a place to reign and rule alongside him. It even says in one weird place that we judge angels, which I don't even any idea what that has to do with anything, but it sounds crazy and it's not the way we normally think, but we will reign and rule alongside of Jesus the creation that was given to us to steward to begin with. The story is not that we escape. The story is that we are empowered to do what we were always created to do while we long and wait for Jesus to come and do it fully. But until He does it fully, we in this time and in this place live as if it already has happened. We be be those people by whom a community is created and people taste what it's like to live in a place of life and not in a place of death. The people around you are among the dying and they live as if they are among the dying. When you live as if you're among the dying, you try to suck every little bit of satisfaction out of life you can because you know this is all going to go YOLO, right? That's YOLO. YOLO is what dying people say. Really, we live forever. Not like once, but yeah, it's once and forever. YOLO is what dying people say because they need to suck every little bit of satisfaction out of life that we possibly can because we know one day we won't be able to get that satisfaction anymore. And we live in a different place with a promise of greater things with a promise of greater things. 
And so when he's referring to Jesus and he's going to unpack and unpack and unpack all that that means, and I really can't, I keep talking about chapter, I can't wait for chapter eight. We've been in chapters one to four, which is, right, it's heavy. It's like the wrath of God, right? But five to eight, the wrath of God is coming to do away with wickedness on the earth so that life can happen. And those whom God love, loves can reign and rule the creation they were given to steward to begin with. And all of that happens, like it says, I think five times in this text, by the free gift, the free gift, the free gift, the free gift of grace that abounds where sin abounded. It is a free gift. It is not that you work your place into God's acceptance, but rather you stop and in desperation say, I am among the dying and I don't want to be among the dying. I don't want to be those who have to suck every little ounce of satisfaction out of life. I place myself at your mercy and your grace and say that I need you and everything that you have for me. I submit my life to you. And in that sort of action, in that sort of faith, in that sort of believing, in that sort of submission, God who has longed to make you alive does and begins that process. And begins that process. So, I'm not trying to minimize the role that heaven plays in the narrative, but the role that heaven plays in the narrative is the place where you go until Jesus returns to set everything right. And when He sets everything right, heaven and earth unite and Jesus rules all and is in all and fills all. And His church, His people, His bride, those whom He died for, rule and reign and live alongside of Him because they were given a free gift not because they were good, not because they were moral, not because they were ethical, not because of any other thing than that they said, I want that free gift. And I submit myself to you. I submit myself to you. <clears throat> and so, man, I've struggled with how do you apply something that big? How do you, how do you say, here's what you do next week now? Um, that's, I, I don't know what you do next week. I don't know what you do next week. I think in the middle of those huge and great promises, what happens to us is that we pray and we pray and in this place where there is death all around us and the reality of the darkness is very, very real at times, and how dark this world is, is kind of an oppressing thing sometimes. We will seek the Lord and we will pray for things to be done, knowing that He is sovereign, knowing that He has power, knowing that He loves us, and we will pray and we will not see answers to those prayers in the way that we want. And we live in between the inauguration of what Jesus has done, given life. He has broken the power of sin that has kept humans captive for 
all of their history. He has broke the power of sin. He's broke the power of Satan. He's broke the power of the world. He has placed His Spirit in us so that we are not slaves to those things, but yet can be His sons and daughters. That has happened, and yet we still live in a place that is not the way we want it to be. We still live in this place and still have bodies that are broken. We still have frustrations with ourselves and the people around us. We still live in dying bodies and in the land of the dying. And it sucks. And it's hard. It sucks and it's hard. And in this place, it's like, it's like that story with Abraham where God promises him that he's going to have a child. And then God gives him a child 25 freaking years later. Like 25 years. It's only a few chapters in Genesis, but it's 25 years. And we live in that place where promises have been made and we're tasting a bit of what it's like and yet we still have to walk through this place and cling to beliefs and promises that look different than the way that life is. Does that make sense? It looks different than the way that life is. When Lauren's aunt passed away and we've got two kids under two and we go in the room and we pray for Samuel like, please, dear Jesus, sleep tonight. Every demon in here that's going to wake him up, we command you to leave in Jesus' name. Give him sleep. Give him rest. And we leave knowing that God has given us authority over all things and that He loves us and He desires sleep for us. And then at 12, He wakes up. And 2.30, He wakes up. And 4, He wakes up. And it's been like a year of really difficult things. And she's laying in bed going, where is God? Like, where is He? Where's going on? Right, it's just a baby crying, but no, no, it's been doing that for six months now, and we need to get some sleep, right? So you, we live in this place where it looks like all these things should be true, and then if we just do the right things, it should go the right way, and yet we do the right things, and it doesn't go the right way. All along, what God is doing is forcing our roots deeper and deeper into the promises He's made because He wants us to be the faithful men and women of God who believe deeply even when everything around us does not look the way that we think it ought to look. And in believing deeply, we become the people who act and move and live as Jesus lived. So that when people got around Jesus, they tasted the kingdom. They tasted life. They tasted what it's like to be around an image bearer. They tasted what it was like to be around the Father. They tasted it. And God is making us into those people by walking us through the difficult times Blessing us with every spiritual blessing in Jesus. But in the middle of that is difficult and is dark and we have to cling to what we believe. And so I would say, when I say cling to what we believe, what a, I, I have some specific things. I don't know if life has been extremely difficult for you lately or if life has just been a breeze. If it's been a breeze, I hate you. <laughs> if it's been... Difficult if you're in the middle of the semester and you've got too much going on and you want to try to meet with the Lord and you want to try to talk to Him and you've got things going on in your life that you don't want to see but you're so overwhelmed with school and all the things going on that you can't even find time to meet with Him and you're just sort of overwhelmed and overloaded with life. If that is where you are, then all we do in the middle of this place until kingdom come, and glory comes, we anchor into these facts that Jesus has come 
reconciled me to the Father, that I've been justified and brought into right relationship with God, and there is not one thing that I can do that can rip me from that. And He has done that so that He can bring me into His family, so that I can be adopted as a son of God, that I can be adopted as His child, so that I can be filled with His Spirit. And in being filled with His Spirit, I can have authority over my own sin, the world, and the way that it lies to me, the broken systems that we're caught in the middle of, and the demonic realm that comes at me to lie and tell me that I'm not as good as I should be and I haven't done the things that I ought to do and nobody's going to listen to me anyway and you're really not that important and you really don't have any value and you really, you're really quite ugly with your love handles and all these ridiculous things that just get thrown at us to bring about insecurities, to bring about shame, to bring about guilt, to rob the life that we've been given and that will come in full, that we've been given His Spirit to deal with those and stand against those by taking time to anchor deeply into what He has said, even though what He has said doesn't look like it's true sometimes because we are still in the middle. We are between Adam and Jesus coming to create new everything that he's promised to do we sit in the middle waiting and while we wait we are meant to be those agents by whom people taste what it's like to be alive that's why we're here not to ask jesus into your heart and be ethical and wait for him to take you to heaven but rather to be those who are filled by his spirit who stand firmly with a stiff spine, knowing who we are, that our Father loves us, that we have power over everything that would come against us, and that He will lead us through every difficulty and dark place that we're going to walk through. As He refines us into His image, as He refines us into His image all along the way, we are seeking to be used by Him to be a blessing, to be those who give life, speak life. And so in simple and small ways, we are asking the Holy Spirit every day. I don't want to be overcome with anger. I don't want to be overcome with guilt. I want to be the one who speaks life. I want to be used by you today. And we open our hands and ask for that. And so I don't know what it looks like for you. It looks like something specific for all of us. But it begins by opening our hands. There's a leak over there. It's dripping into that bucket. Yeah, it's a... Right. And I make that bloop noise. Yeah. Okay, anyway. That's who we are. That's who we're made to be. We need to sink deeply into who we are. Sink deeply. 810. Um, let me pray for us. Brandon's going to lead us in another song. I want you to know uh, we have the residents come up here. Our hope is not our hope is not that you would walk down the aisle and get saved maybe that's my hope okay so that's sometimes or that you would confess and repent and weep sometimes that's my hope too uh, my hope more than that is that we might grow into be a family who prays for each other and who is open about the things going on in our lives and seeks the lord with each other and doesn't isolate ourselves so we have them up here not because I think you're wicked sinners that need to repent all the time, but rather because I want you to learn to come into this place expecting the Lord to move and being willing to lay things down at His feet and to do that with people who will agree with you in prayer over the big things and the small things. 
over tests that you have, over family members that are sick, over things that you're frustrated about with yourself, over anything that you have, that you would learn to say, hey, this is difficult in my life. Can you lift it up to the Lord? And then if you need to meet and talk, they're willing to meet and talk. That's what they're here for, to pray with you and then to be able to arrange time with you if you just need more than a few minutes to pray. You need to vent whatever you need to do. So keep that in mind. That's why they're there. I want us to grow into a family that knows how to do that and longs to do that when we come into this place.